And hello again. Welcome to another Life Words Q&A with author of our Life Words Daily Devotionals, David Ray. Welcome again and looking forward to sharing the answers to some questions that actually appeal to me this particular podcast. Eh? Thanks, Dwayne. Good to hear. Our questions this week include working out what God's plan is for my life. What is speaking in tongues and what's its role in faith? And, and first, we turn to David one of the Bible's more prolific characters and authors. Now, David in the Psalms uh, says some pretty savage things. What are we supposed to make of some of the language that he's presumed to have used in the writing of these Psalms? Yeah, he, he says some wonderful things, doesn't he? And then suddenly you have him talking about kids being bashed on rocks yes. and, and enemies being wiped out and all that sort of thing. Look, you can't deny he does so. Um, you might say it's righteous anger. You may say that, um, but it just still seems jolly intemperate. I it does, mean, how it? would I go if I was sort of um, saying to God, come on, God, these wicked people out there, you know, bash their infants' heads against the rock and so on. Look, I think we have to recognise here, it gets into a little bit of the character of the Bible, I suppose, here, but we recognise that David is human. And we have to ask ourselves, is everything that David writes endorsed by God? Well, I don't think so. Um, David is... is, is pouring out his heart in these psalms, um, which is not to say that God is actually sort of, as it were, ticking every sentence and phrase, saying, yes, 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 that's that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. Um, the Bible, you see, records lots of things said and done that are not necessarily pleasing to God. Uh, even some of God's people, Noah's drunkenness and Abraham's lying mm. and all this sort of thing, they, 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 they're not necessarily endorsed by God. It's quite interesting in many churches, people will get up and do a Bible reading and say, this is the word of the Lord. And there's, in a sense, no theological problem with that. But if you read out some of the um, these, uh, <laughs> these terribly, graphic, uh, passages. graphic passages in the Psalms yeah. and say, may your infants' heads be bashed against the rocks, this is the word of the Lord, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it can come across rather strangely. You see, Psalms might be the word of God, but not all the so-called word of God is actually consistent with the mind of God. God has, has, has caused um, his Bible to be written um, by human beings mm. who had their own humanity. Remember, David was not infallible. Um, he did not dictate it word for word. He didn't say, David, now, come on, um, I'm going to dictate this psalm to you. David wrote the psalms. Now, in general terms, through the whole Bible, what is written there is what God wanted to be written. But it doesn't mean that God endorses everything that's there. God would not now endorse um, polygamy, mm. uh, for example. Uh, he would not endorse all the things that his people actually did. Um, so I think it, it challenged our understanding of the Scripture that not everything written in Scripture is, is as it were, edifying, um, even though it is, we still understand it's God's Word. We understand that the human writers were human, even though God, as it were, worked on them in such a way that what they communicated was his heart and mind. But that doesn't mean that every single word and phrase um, is consistent with his heart and mind, uh, because that's not quite the way the inspiration of Scripture works. It's a much more general thing. Um, God accommodates himself to the humanity of writers um, and, and to the culture of his day in many respects. Um, you see, we, I think one of the interesting things about David's um, expressions in the Psalms, I, th I think it's very much like us. Um, there are times when I get incredibly angry mm. at injustice and evil and all that sort of thing, and, and to dignify it by calling it righteous anger would be a little bit of a lie. <laughs> um, I'm just jolly fed up. Yeah. And I think David writes in that way, and um, I think the interesting thing is, the most interesting thing from this question is that David doesn't hide them from God. No. David doesn't say, oh, 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 sorry, God, I, I, I really shouldn't say that, or I, I better bury my anger. He 
lets it out. Um, having written a beautiful lyrical passage, I think it is Psalm 139, where it describes the wonder of creation and human beings, he ends up with this ooh, gee, quite uh, out of left field um, um, anger. Yeah, at, explosion. At, at explosion yeah. And, and so on. And I think, yeah, that's me. I'm capable of great lyrical exposition of the wonders of God and at the same time saying, God, you know, why don't you wipe out my enemies and so on. And, and equally being lifted up on the hope and aspiration that faith can can be pivotal to, and yet at the same time still have moments where we're incredibly morose. Oh yes, yeah, look, look if, if there was a if there was the equivalent of the desert island sort of um, program, we'd have said what what book of the Bible would you take to a desert island with you? It'd be Psalms. Yeah, and the reason for that is the Psalms to me express the humanity. Uh, of 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 David so beautifully, and not only of David, of course, others wrote the Psalms, but they resonate with my own humanity. I look at the Psalms and I see here is a man who was unreasonably at times angry, uh, who gave up on God, who was utterly melancholic down in the pits, who sometimes didn't know what he was doing, whether he was Arthur or Martha, and then at other times is praising God and mm. calling out to God and trusting God and being gracious. Here's a man who who was guilty of adultery and, and complicit, um, complicity in murder and all that sort of thing, and yet here's a man who has wonderful, humble faith in God, and I think... David is saying, here am I, a human being yeah. with some wonderful um, credits, wonder, not so wonderful debits, yeah. but here I am, Lord. It's very much like the book of Job. Here I am, Lord, warts and all, and that's why I like the, the Psalms. I don't certainly don't like those passages that have been referred to in the question, mm. but I do understand that, yeah, here is a man who is in pain, who felt things deeply, and he felt at liberty to express that to God. And I don't think God, for one minute... Up there in heaven saying, good on you, David, I feel the same way. No, I don't think so. But I think God is accepting that here is a man who was um, had his ambiguities, his mysteries, his complexities, his darkness, his shadow side, and yet embraced and accepted that, and it did not negate all the wonderful things he did in the eyes of God. Thank you for your question. Through lifewords at hopemedia.com.au, that's our email address. And how can I be sure, writes our next questioner, what God wants me to do? And when I read this, I thought, giddy up. I am so looking forward to hearing <laughs> this answer. It's it's a call that every one of us has felt at various times in our life. Yeah, and I reckon we've got five minutes or so and uh, <laughs> you could spend five hours on it. Yeah. Um, let me just offer a few guidelines. Um I think the Bible does give us general guidelines, and I think people fall into so many traps about this. Honestly, I have to say, I never really worry nowadays too much about guidance um, because I have long since given up believing that God has this narrow, detailed blueprint for our lives, and if I miss it, I'm a goner uh, sort of thing. Let me, let me give you some examples. You see, for example, I mean, there are, there are specific things that are quite clear. God is not going to sort of be saying to you, uh, commit adultery, Oh, could you please take revenge on that person who hurt you? No, he's not going to do that. We know the Bible, yeah. and so that that's clear. There are moral in, in, instances where the Bible's clear. So we've got a general guide. The Bible, as someone has said, is it's a compass rather than a map. Yeah. It gives you directions, not yeah. detailed instructions. So, but in many cases, therefore, I think God gives us freedom to choose. So many younger people have said to me over the years, "I'm agonising about what uni course to do." I think, oh. In terms of what does God want me to do, by all means, agonise over it. Yeah. But um, you see, God may well be happy for you to be a social worker or a teacher or a plumber um, or an employee in a radio station or whatever. Um, 
I, it, it sounds it sounds um, maybe even wrong, but I don't know whether God even has an opinion on it. I think what God is saying to you, be godly. What's God's plan for us? The Bible says to be more and more like Jesus, to follow Jesus, to, to be holy, to be a witness and an ambassador for Jesus. Now, you can do that married or single, having two children or three children, living in Sydney or Wollongong, um, to be agonising, saying, oh, God, you know, should I be a social worker or an engineer? Well, by all means, wrestle with the issue, talk to other people about it. But don't think that God is saying, you better make the right choice because if you become an engineer... You're gone. It's all over. You know, social worker was my plan for you. Ah, you missed it. Bad luck. So, look, I think, honestly, relax. Just believe that God is not going to play silly games with you. He is a good shepherd. And if he has a specific plan for you, and sometimes I believe he does, he's jolly well able to make it clear. But in many, many cases, he does not so much have a specific plan. If there's a truly wrong or dangerous choice, God can make it clear via the counsel of others or the reordering of circumstances. But I just plead with these people who are thinking about this, don't become paralyzed by fear. I can't make a decision because I don't know what God's will is. God's will for you is to become more and more like Jesus. And you can do that as a social worker, as a pastor, as an engineer, as a plumber, as a mother or father. Uh, You can do that in any way. Take a step and trust if if you're intent on obeying him that God won't let you down. So rather than getting paralyzed by thinking, What's, what's the right choice here? I've got to get the right answer. Rather than saying, God, I really want to follow Jesus. Hmm. Now, don't, don't, don't dismiss your personal feelings here either. I know we have this teaching that I, I, I think is quite right in essence. Don't rely on your feelings. I certainly wouldn't just rely on my feelings. But God, remember, God has probably planted in you feelings. I mean, God, um, God wants you to be in a place where your passions can intersect with the needs of the world. See, one of my passions has always been to communicate, to write, to speak in such a way as people can understand. And, well, that's what a lot of the things I do. Mm. And, and, and sometimes we've got this feeling that, well, if I enjoy doing X, Y, Z, it can't be God's will <laughs> because God must have something terribly miserable for me to do. Um, but rather, so Dave says, don't just rely on feelings, no. But factor those feelings in. God has given you certain passions and interests and abilities, and it's so likely that he'll want you to develop and practice these in such a way as to express them. But, but, but if you make a so-called wrong choice and become a social worker rather than an engineer or something, it's not as if God's going to turn his back on you. God's going to say, okay, I'll, I'll, now I'll help you become the most godly social worker you can be. Oh, yes, yes, you could have become a godly engineer too, yeah. but, but you've chosen social work. Well, okay, let's, let's, let's go with you there. David, what about resources? Uh, you know, hitting the random scripture generator on my computer and, and trying to divine some sort of direction out of it, or or the old promise book with the, with the little pincers that you oh, you pull out it. the scroll. From I've the... got one of those that someone gave me. They're wonderful. Yeah. Now, look, incidentally, if you know your scriptures well and are fairly wise and discreet, th- th- those things even can be one of God is quite able to sort of pop out a Bible verse at you, but as a means of Ongoing guidance, very, 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 very dangerous. Because, again, Scripture will lay down the principles. Scripture is not going to tell you 
to go to Indonesia or to France or to Chile on missionary duty. Each of those may well be fine. But, for example, I'd say to a person, if that person says, I've got a passion for Latin America and South America, I'd say, well, well, don't go to France, go to Chile. (laughs) I mean, if that, of course, God may well have put that passion in there. Look, I think you've got to be aware of scriptural principles, and I wouldn't be going on the promise box approach. Seek advice from honest, discerning Christians, and I stress those honest and discerning words, not those Christians who'll say, oh, 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 that's lovely, that sounds lovely, go for it. No, someone is going to challenge you. For you to say, I'm thinking of these options, give me some input. And go to honest, discerning Christians. Pray through things. Think through things. Take your time. But don't let fear be the basis of decision-making, as though God is playing some sort of game of hide-and-seek with you. Honestly, I don't think guidance should be a big issue once we realize that God wants us to be like Jesus, and wherever we are, we are meant to be like Jesus. You see, I, I, I became a an Anglican clergyman. I could have become a Baptist clergyman. I could have become some other sort of clergyman. Um, I could have stayed where I was in my other job in the airline industry. I mean, God, it wasn't as if God was going to sort of turn his back on me. But I do believe I made a right and good decision, but not because, oh, I couldn't have served God where I am. I can only serve God where I am now. No, no, I can serve God anywhere. But I do believe that God was 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 directing me in such a way that I made that choice to enter theological college. Now, how he did it was largely through exposure to a teaching in a certain church, counsel from one or two individuals, discontent with my present employment circumstances, and all that coalesced together, as it were, not as if God's tapping me on the shoulder saying, thou shalt go to college, mm. but rather saying, hey, David, start thinking about your future. If, if you decide to stay in your job, okay, I'm not going to turn my back on you. You, you, I will bless you, I will honour you, but hey, I've I've thrown these things together. Um, Think about it. And uh, in thinking about it, uh, um, I took the path that I took. But I'd stress that if I hadn't have taken that path, I don't think I would have missed God's perfect plan for my life. Um, My life just would have taken different directions. And we'd have a very quiet podcast. That's indeed we would. That's right. This is our Life Words Q&A with David Ray. If you have a question or perhaps an observation after hearing David's personal experiences in the way that God has led him in his life and you've you've found God lead you in a, a particular way, you might like to share that with us. Email us, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. And to our last question, and this was quite the crucible when I was a young bloke in faith in my church, so I'm eager to hear your response to this question, David. I hear that some Christians speak in tongues, and I hear others saying it isn't biblical. What should I think? Mm, what should you think? Well, uh, hard to answer on that particular basis, but let, let me just give a bit of general background. Fairly, Hopefully fairly non-controversial. Tongues are one of the gifts mentioned in the Bible uh, that God gives to Christians through his Holy Spirit. Now, they're generally seen as a language given by the Spirit um, that's not learned by the individual speaking it. A little, probably a little bit different to the foreign languages in, described in Acts 2, but even that's up for debate. Um, now, such tongue speaking generally bypasses the intellect and so enables those speaking in that tongue to have a greater degree of freedom and spontaneity in their relationship with God. But it doesn't mean when I say bypasses the intellect, it's not out of control. It's not some sort of um, some wild ecstatic speech and so on, because the Bible seems to make clear whoever's speaking in tongues has got control of it. You're not just sort of out of control. Um, 
Those people who speak and pray in tongues say that it allows them to speak more directly to God, and those who do so pray testify to feeling greater freedom in prayer when they find words, normal English articulate words, um, hard to express. Um, th th that's private tongues. Th th there is such a thing as a public use of tongues, which is uh, described by Paul in 1 Corinthians, um, and the tongue there is to be regulated. So if someone speaks in a tongue, and I've been in churches where that's that, that's happened, and mm. I've been comfortable enough with it happening, um, that that language, that tongue has to be interpreted. So to better with others, it's not going to be not going to do no one good if someone just gets up and babbles away and everyone's thinking, well, that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, that might be okay in private yeah. because you're only between you and God. But when you've got other people around, um, you need a so-called gift of interpreting. And that so some people do have a particular insight given by God to say, ah, that person meant that. Um, now, I think one of the reasons why it is regarded as controversial is that it's it seems sounds a bit spooky you know the gift of helps or encouragement or yeah. teaching there you go i mean they're pretty obvious um but but it's beyond our sort beyond many people's experience they think oh, oh that, that's not natural well of course it's not natural it's it's quite supernatural you see a gift of teaching can be something that in a sense you have innately and it's just enhanced by the spirit of god and used in a particular way but tongues um, you don't, in a sense, you're not born with that. Mm. Now, so that's one of the the areas where there's a bit of a problem that people tend to think, oh, it's outside my comfort zone, as it were, outside my sphere of experience. And then sadly, I think some people say, oh, therefore, it can't be wrong. Uh, so, sorry, therefore, it can't be right. It must must be wrong. I can't practice it. But in a funny sort of way, those people are, are arguing from experience. They're saying, because I haven't experienced that gift, it can't be valid. It can't be valid, yeah. which is which which is not a really good line of argument. Um, but on the other hand, one of the other criticisms of the, the tongues thing is that it sadly, in some church traditions, well, I don't think it's so much today, that it was seen as a sign of spiritual superiority. That, okay, you're a Christian. Oh, that's good. Okay, but you're only halfway there. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to get the gift of tongues. Get the tongues in you there. Uh, yeah. get, get the tongues into you because yeah. they're a sign of spiritual superiority. Now, that's nonsense from the Bible. Um, they're, they're not a reward or a sign. A gift is not a reward or a sign of being elite. A gift is a gift. Uh, not all have the gift, and Paul seems to suggest that. So it's dangerous to urge people to demand it. I, I had a lady once say to me, please pray for me that I receive the gift of tongues. And I said, no. I said, what I want to pray is that you will be given by God what you need to draw closer to him in prayer. And uh, I said, if tongues is, a, is that, that's fine. Yeah. Because tongues is a means, not an end, like all the spiritual gifts. Uh, so I said to that lady, I'd say to anyone, don't pray so much for a gift of tongues. Pray for that closeness to God. And tongues may be, many Christians will testify who speak in tongues, tongues is one way of better expressing that closeness. But there are many, many fine Christians who don't speak in tongues who still experience that closeness. Talk to me a little about the place of tongues in in fellowship. Is is there an appropriate time for it or an appropriate circumstance, David? What how is it how how are we to feel comfortable being within an environment where tongues is present? I don't know whether you can ever feel comfortable in it. Uh, and that's the problem. Uh, and should we feel comfortable? Um, I tell you what, uh, when I've been leading church gatherings uh, in past years where tongues have been spoken, I don't feel comfortable um, because I'm thinking, oh, blimey, I hope someone's got the gift of interpretation here. Yeah. Or, or I don't know what they're saying. Yeah. Um, but 
I, uh, way I regulated, and I think it was scriptural to do that, anyone who was known to us in the church, a, a regular member of the church, not a stranger, a regular member of the church was to come up and a regular member of the church was to interpret. And if there was no interpretation, never happened, but if there was no interpretation, I would not allow any further tongue speaking okay. and so on and so on. I never really had a problem with it at all. But another church I was pastoring, we never had tongues spoken, even though I was quite happy to give the opportunity. And that was fine too, um, because I'm not going to sort of say, come on, someone's got to have a tongue. Yeah. Uh, no. It, and it only happened, incidentally, in the other church, quite quite rarely. It, it wasn't a everyday occurrence when I didn't say, okay, now we're going to have some tongue speaking, <laughs> because it's a gift. And my understanding of the gifts is no one has the gift. Um, the person who speaks in a tongue in a church doesn't have the gift. What they do, they are given that gift at that time for that particular situation to speak into that church's life. Um, so, so, so that's one thing. I think it can be well regulated in the church, but I never, ever wanted to say that this was sort of, wow, some sort of sign of special superiority. I never wanted to do that. I think it is so sad, though, when we, we sort of either exalt the gift of tongues as though these are the spiritual elite. There's no biblical grounds for that because it's a gift. Um, and not, 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 not a mark of merit, or that we dismiss the gift of tongues, those tongue speakers, as weird way-out people, mm. which is the other extreme, they're not weird way-out people at all. Well, there might be some weird way-out people, there's some weird way-out people who don't speak in tongues either. Um, <laughs> so so it, it's so sad to dismiss it as though the Bible has done away with it. This is sometimes the argument. Oh, the Bible, we've got the Bible, who needs that? Yeah. Well, the Bible itself doesn't say that. The Bible itself doesn't say tongues are going to die out. Um, I, I do believe that what the, the scriptures seem to say is probably more of a gift for the private prayer life, but it can have a public um, dimension. But when I, when I permitted it in church, as it were, I was always up the front when it happened because I wanted people to know that this was not just some sort of wild, random occasion. I, the pastor teacher of the church, who people I hope generally respected and trusted, I wasn't a crackpot. It was once as I was standing up the front saying, I'm allowing tongue speaking, but hey, I, I, I'm not a crackpot. Um, I'm a graduate of a conservative evangelical college. I know my scriptures well. Uh, I'm not getting carried away with anything. So I think the way we accept tongues and so on in church, public or private or in small groups and so on, is to say this is a legitimate gift of God. But hey, it's not the be all and end all, and um, we are not going to get into endless debates about it in terms of the superiority and that and the precise nature of the tongue and so on. It's a supernatural thing, um, and how dare we despise a gift of God? How dare we dismiss it as being of no importance? But again, how dare we exalt it to be a marker of some sort of spiritual superiority? It most emphatically isn't. So sadly, we find ourselves out of time completely. David Ray, thank you again for sharing your insights on you. uh, living our faith in what can be tricky times in contemporary Australia and around the world, wherever you happen to be listening. Until we catch up again, you can offer up your question for David Ray to answer through our email. It's lifewords at hopemedia.com.au.